ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, Fanu Filali here, executive producer of Background Briefing. Over the past few months, my team has brought you some compelling stories. And this summer, we thought we'd select a few special ones for you. Stories that have stayed with us. Today, we're meeting Peter, a man who believes he's being held prisoner and stripped of his basic human rights. And what's more, he's denied the ability to speak out about it. His crime is growing old, and his captor is the government of Western Australia. Here's Anne Conley with this investigation. It's a scorching summer day. I'm in Perth, and a man we'll call Dan is about to show me the house where he used to live. As we walk to the front door, I can see his garden is dead. Grass crackles under our feet. Doesn't, um... It doesn't look like anyone's taking care of your lawn here. Oh, that's terrible. Do you have your key to your house still? Okay. Dan wants to move back here, but he's not allowed. He has dementia, and just over a year ago, a state government tribunal found that he lacked the capacity to make decisions. He thinks he could manage at home with a carer or in a retirement village, but instead he's forced to pay thousands of dollars in fees to live in a nursing home against his will. His life and his money are now controlled by the state. Can you give me a little tour of the house? Yep. You want to start at the front? Yeah, sure. All right. Okay. That's quite a nice home, really. You know, it's, uh, um, it's pretty new. Dan's four-bedroom house is completely empty. He takes me into the garage where there's a dozen or so boxes of his remaining possessions. Um, I'm still, I've got quite a few tapes, music and all that sort of stuff. Um, so is this all that's left of all your belongings? Yes. Hmm. All the bedroom, furniture, the lounge furniture, everything's gone. And how do you feel about that? I'm peed off with it. I, I mean, it, it annoys me when people say I'm not capable and all this sort of stuff. Dan is one of 50,000 Australians who've been found to lack capacity because they have dementia, a brain injury, a mental illness or an intellectual disability. And for that reason, the state, in the form of public guardians and trustees, now decides where they live, what medical treatment they can have, and how they spend their money. I can't believe it. I live in a free country in Australia, and I'm treated like I'm living in Russia or somewhere. I've got no rights at all, and I haven't done anything. I've been in business all my life. I've paid my taxes and done everything. It's a system similar to the US conservatorship laws, which singer Britney Spears was under for nearly 14 years. Except in Australia, apart from the ACT, it's a criminal offence to identify anyone under state control. Dan lives in WA, where the law is so strict, we've even had to change his voice. We can't tell you his profession, what hobbies he has, or his political beliefs. 
And if we don't adhere to these rules, the ABC could be fined. And me, personally, I could be sent to jail for a year. These laws are designed to protect vulnerable people from exploitation. But critics say they actually just prevent people from speaking out. What do you think about the law that's stopping you from being identified and speaking out? Bloody ridiculous. Absolutely. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm treated like I am a criminal. I've done nothing wrong. If you think this can't happen to you, think again. If you have a stroke, a car accident or any other condition that affects your mental capacity and there's no one able to look after you, you can lose control of your life and your money to the state. The public trustee can charge you thousands of dollars in fees each year without your consent and often without your knowledge. And the more you have, the more you pay. Because public trustees charge a percentage of your assets in fees. I'm an investigative journalist at the ABC, and for the past five years I've been digging into all that's wrong with Australia's aged care sector. In 2018, my work exposing the crisis in aged care led to a Royal Commission. Years later, people are still sending me emails. In February last year, a woman we'll call Claire wrote to me. She said she'd become friends with a man who was being held against his will at a nursing home. The state have taken control. He's in his right mind compared to many other people with dementia and they are all still living in their own homes. He feels he has been put into a prison. I am a caring person. I really want to help. Please help. Thank you. That person was Dan. I knew about the public guardian and public trustee system because I've reported on its problems in the past. Dan's situation sounded particularly desperate and I wanted to speak to him. So I called him on his mobile at his aged care facility in Perth. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yep, yep, yep. Anne Connolly. I've got the right number? Yes. How are you? Have I interrupted you at a bad time? No, no, no. I was just uh, finishing reading the paper. I can't give you specifics about Dan, but I can tell you he's in his late 70s, has been married several times and has five children. Dan's estranged from four of his adult children, but up until he went into care, he was sharing custody of his youngest son. In 2021, he moved into a new house to be closer to that son. That's when his anxiety and confusion became overwhelming. I bought a, an almost brand new home and um, I, I'd been there three weeks just, just getting into settling down and then the, the incident happened. This incident happened one evening. Dan said he saw a bubble and it left him feeling sick and shaken. Although he didn't think it was anything serious, he says he rang his brother to let him know. He came around and said, I should take you to a doctor. And I said, no, there's nothing wrong with me. Just give me a bell in the morning, make sure that, I'm, that I am OK. Yep. But he said, you should go. And I said, oh, OK, I'll go. He took me to Armidale Hospital. In the months before, Dan had admitted himself to hospital several times, feeling confused. 
Back then, his driver's licence was revoked after his doctor suspected he had dementia. His diagnosis was that um, I had early stages of dementia, but nothing to be concerned about at all. He said to me, you'll get minimum of a good four years from here. But Dan's brother thought his dementia was more serious and he had power of attorney. So this time, after a month in hospital, he transferred Dan to a nursing home. Dan was furious. It's criminal. It, it, it's bloody disgusting. It's, I'm in an aged care facility with very old people um, that go to sleep in the, at the mess hall and all this sort of stuff. Um, I don't belong there. I belong, <laughs> I belong in my own home that I've worked hard and, and all my life. I contacted Dan's brother to hear his version of events. We can't name him either because it would identify Dan. So we'll call him Peter. There's always, you know, two sides to the story in that sense. And so uh, let me just go back to... So that, that at that time, you put, put your recording on, that's fine. Peter tells me while he doesn't know anything about Dan having an episode, his brother had been having problems for a few years. But one night, shortly after Dan had moved house, Peter got very concerned when he visited his brother. He says the place was a mess, with unpacked boxes and empty takeaway containers everywhere. He wasn't cooking for himself. In fact, the stove in the house had never been used, you know. And I said, what's going on? He said, oh, you know, I, I, I don't really know what's going on, but I can't sort of do this anymore. And I said, well, you can't. You need care and you know you realize you've got the dementia and I he said well can you help me and I said well of course I, we can. Peter says Dan agreed to sell all his furniture and his house so he could move into an aged care facility but after weeks in the hospital waiting for a bed at the nursing home Peter says Dan changed his mind. Didn't, he wasn't all that keen I'll be perfectly honest but he had, had to go somewhere during his first days in the home, Dan asked reception to call him a taxi so he could go shopping and go see a movie. But he was told he wasn't allowed to leave. Dan tells me about it over the phone. And I, I didn't understand what the hell was going on. And I said, oh, bullshit. And I, I just grabbed my, my um, man bag thing and um, walked out the front door. And um, the people come from everywhere trying to catch me, and 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 and, uh, and you know it took it took a while for them to send into me. Hey, you can't go anywhere. Dan was only allowed to leave the facility if he paid for a carer or if a friend signed him out. He felt trapped, and he complained to his brother. Peter says he understands Dan's frustration. I can understand what's going through his mind, is that he can't get out and go for a walk when he wants to, and it's not what he's used to. And that's where, why he you know, feels that he's been betrayed. Dan complained and complained to his brother, and eventually Peter gave in. He wrote to the manager saying Dan wanted to return home with a carer so he could be closer to his son. 
Peter also decided he no longer wanted responsibility for Dan and gave up his power of attorney. These days, the brothers don't speak and there's a lot of anger between them. When I ring Dan, it's clear he's still hurt by his brother's actions. I remember saying to him, you don't give your enduring power of attorney and guardianship to your enemy. You give it to someone that, that um, you trust and has got your best interests at heart. But he, he'd already made his own mind up. Peter doesn't see it that way. He's always right in his mind and everybody else. If something goes wrong, it's never his fault. Peter's decision to give up power of attorney set off a chain of events that would see Dan lose all control over his life. He wasn't allowed to return home because the owners of the aged care facility, Hall and Pryor, applied to a government tribunal for the state to take over Dan's affairs. Dan says he didn't know about it until weeks later. And then I found out that the aged care home had put in an application for guardianship and and public trustee and everything. The hearing was held at WA's State Administrative Tribunal. Dan didn't have a lawyer and had to listen in by a phone. Records show there was no report from a geriatrician or psychiatrist, but there was a report from the nursing home's GP. There's also no record of what's called a capacity test, an assessment of Dan's ability to make decisions. The tribunal told the ABC it doesn't need specialist reports and GP evidence is commonly used. The tribunal found that Dan was unable to make reasonable judgments and incapable of looking after his own health and safety. It appointed the public advocate, which is known as the public guardian in most of the country, to look after his accommodation and the public trustee to manage his finances. That meant Dan was forced to stay at the nursing home at his own expense. When I ring Dan, he's still fuming at the tribunal decision. It's, it's not fair on me, for starters. It's not fair on my son. Um, I, you know, I'm treated like I'm a criminal. And I'm, I'm not. Dan doesn't know how much he's paying because he says the nursing home refuses to give him invoices. And he says the public trustee hasn't replied to his request for financial statements. He's now been in the nursing home for 16 months and he thinks his dementia is getting worse because of it. It's been exacerbated because of the pressure that I've <laughs> just put into prison. Um, I've lost all my bloody life, lost contact with uh, my son. I've been speaking to Dan for months now, and over that time I noticed a few things. Like how he repeats the same stories over, especially the events that led him here. And that he sometimes imagines details that didn't actually happen. He understands he has dementia, but he keeps saying that it might not get any worse, which is just not the case. But Dan's not helpless at this stage, He's able to dress, shower and go to the toilet unassisted and he can walk fine. His language skills are good and he can use text and email. 
And in the home, he's not in the locked dementia section reserved for more advanced sufferers. Dan's in the general section with other, more independent residents. He says that he wants to go home, so can the state really hold him here against his will? I ask Sam Boyle from Queensland University of Technology. He's an expert in medical law and has studied how tribunals, guardians and trustees work. Do you think this is an extreme example of how this law works? No, this is, I would say, a very common occurrence. This sort of situation would be happening in thousands of instances all around Australia. The law says Dan should be consulted about where he wants to live. But Sam says a lack of staff means that often doesn't happen. Keeping someone somewhere against their will should always be the last resort. And if there is any way that it can work for him to not be detained against his will, that should be explored. And you would hope that the public guardian or the public trustee would facilitate that. But I know that often they don't facilitate that, and that, again, is a budgetary thing. They don't necessarily have the resources to fully explore the options that are available. By law, WA's public advocate has to encourage the person to live in the general community, and it has to choose the least restrictive accommodation option to ensure their clients' rights are respected. So that kind of thing really does push towards... Uh, trying to allow people to stay living independently as long as possible. But in practice, those sorts of things tend to fall away. Sam Boyle says just because someone has a cognitive disability, it doesn't mean they don't have capacity to make decisions. It's a completely different question. You can have capacity if you have any of those things. It's a matter of are you able to understand and manage yourself to do the particular thing that we're talking about. And he says tribunals tend to side with medical experts rather than listening to the person in front of them, which shouldn't be the case. There was a case in Victoria and there was a report from a neuropsychologist which said that so-and-so lacked capacity. And then the man's lawyer in this case got the man to start talking about himself and his history and the tribunal member said, why, why are you doing this? And the lawyer said, well, it's to show you that he does have capacity, that he does understand these things. And the tribunal member said, well, you're not going to overturn this report. He can talk as much as he's want, but I've got this report that says that he lacks capacity and the report's from an expert. That case got appealed to the Victorian Supreme Court and the Victorian Supreme Court said, no, 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 the tribunal was wrong. You have to talk to the person and find out what they understand. And they sent the case back to the tribunal to decide again. And lo and behold, this man was found to have capacity. Dan spends most of his days alone in his room, watching TV. Every day is precious as he anxiously awaits more information about his case. There's a key date looming when he might just be able to overturn the state's control and get rid of the guardian and the trustee. It's a tribunal hearing where his case is scheduled to be reviewed. 
Hang on. No, I can do it. It's okay. Hang on one second. Okay. okay. I'm on a group call with Dan and Claire, his good friend who initially sent yeah. me the email. Yeah. Oh. Are you there? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So the three of us can have a conversation. Um, Claire's been following Dan's case closely and she's become a bit of a lifeline for him as he tries to navigate the system. Along with everyone else involved in Dan's case, we've also had to change her name and voice to stay within the law. When Claire attended Dan's initial hearing back in February last year, she successfully argued he needed a proper capacity assessment. It took months for the public advocate to organise those tests, but now Dan's been refused copies of the reports. So it took us months to get that to beg the Guardian to get a neuropsychological report done and now can't even have a copy of it because they're saying he had dementia, therefore he's not capable of being in control of any of his records. So how is he supposed to prove himself? The content of those reports will be crucial if Dan wants to convince the tribunal that he should be freed. In the end, a legal aid lawyer was allowed to have them under one condition. She read them out to us. And then she said, now I have to destroy them because that's what the Guardian told me to do. Later, the public advocate provided a written summary and the findings weren't all bad. One report showed that overall, Dan is in the average range. But it also stated that his organisation and planning skills were in the very low or extremely low range. The good news was that according to the reports, Dan could return home with 24-7 care. The bad news was that the public advocate said it wasn't in his best interests and the public trustee said he couldn't afford it. I desperately want to be in my own home. I get my life taken away from me, very unfairly. I'm not allowed to go out on my own. I can't go to the movies. I can't, I can't go and see my mates. I can't go down to the club and have a, a, a beer. I'm based in Sydney, so I've been keeping tabs on Dan's case via email and over the phone. I want to attend the hearing, meet Dan in person and see what's happening for myself. So as the date approaches, I decide to fly to Perth so I can go to the hearing. It'll be an important moment. If the tribunal rules in his favour, Dan may actually be able to walk free. I ring him at Christmas time to tell him I'm on my way. I just wanted to tell you that I'm planning on coming over yep. to meet you yep. and to try to find out exactly what's going on, like why you aren't allowed access to the neuropsychologist report, why you need a carer every time you go out to accompany you, what's happened to your money. I've got no life, honestly. If it wasn't for my son, um, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'm absolutely fed up with being incarcerated. So, sorry, I, I, get, I get a little bit emotional. I'm normally pretty good. I, I, this is the first time I've got a bit silly. Um, but um, it's just the fact that of Christmas... The Royal Commission into Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of People with Disability is now in session. Good morning, uh, everyone. 
In November last year, the Disability Royal Commission devoted a week to public guardians and trustees. During the hearings, it emerged that WA's public advocate is understaffed, with one case officer for every 71 clients. Hundreds of submissions were made. Many of these submissions criticise the operation of uh, guardianship and administration regimes in force in the Australian states and territories. West Australian Green Senator Jordan Steele-John also hears from people and their families. So uh, from across the country we get calls um, from people who have been placed under these processes, under these systems, and they feel trapped. Um, They feel like they are policed in who they can and can't talk to, often prevented from seeing family members or friends. Um, They often say to us that they are being charged exorbitant fees for services that they either don't understand or never requested. There are state and international laws which say people under guardianship and administration must be included in decision-making. But the senator says that's not happening. What do you think about that? I think particularly here in Western Australia, we see a system where basically the advocate makes the decision for the person rather than engaging in a process of supported decision making. Now, that's really quite unacceptable given that Australia um, has committed to the United Nations Framework Convention on the Rights of Disabled People. The Greens are now calling for gag laws to be revoked around the country. Jordan Steele-John thinks stopping people from speaking out has helped governments keep a lid on the problems in the system. I think it does suit government that people under both public trustee and the public guardian are currently unable to speak out and that journalists are prevented from reporting on these situations. Because in the absence of the voice of the affected person and in the absence of uh, the voice and advocacy of journalists looking into these cases, uh, then there is very little chance that there will be pressure on them to engage in changing this system. Time now in Perth is nine minutes past three. Please remain seated until the seatbelt sign is off. If you're visiting Perth, we hope you enjoy your stay. And of course, to those returning, welcome home. I touched down in Perth. This is the first time I'm going to meet Dan in person. His hearing is only a few days away, and I want to be there when he finally gets a decision. I drive to Dan's nursing home where I'm met by Claire, Dan's friend who first emailed me. She's also brought a friend. We'll call her Teresa. She's a social worker with experience navigating the guardianship system. She's also supporting Dan in his case. Hello, nice to meet you. It's a Sunday, which means there's fewer aged care staff around to ask Dan questions about who he's meeting. The two women go to sign him out. It feels a bit like a jailbreak. Well, they've managed to get him. I can see them walking with him over here right now. I'm very, very pleased to meet you. I'm very, very pleased to meet you too. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise. No problem getting out? No, no. That's good. That's good. Yeah. 
Dan says the aged care staff have been keeping a close eye on him. Even this morning, they quizzing me, you know, what are you doing, where are you going? And um, I said, oh, I'm going out. Who with? I said, oh, friends of mine are picking me up and we're going out for, oh, how long? Oh, I don't know, <laughs> until I get back, I suppose. We all sit down for coffee. Claire tells me that Dan has still been refused access to all his medical and financial documents. They're just making everything extremely hard. And um, I believe that there's probably thousands of people in Dan's situation. And, and tell me, Dan, how often have you called the public guardian and the public trustee trying to get your own information? I've given up. They just don't return calls. And leave messages all the time. Teresa says that because of Dan's dementia, it would help him if he could read the documents himself. But Dan's not been allowed to question any of the processes that he's been through because he doesn't have the paperwork. She mentions that she's also been looking at alternative accommodation for Dan, like a live-in carer or an assisted living arrangement any option to ensure he's getting his meals and medication while enjoying more freedom. Teresa's also worried that Dan's stress is making his dementia worse. I firmly believe that if he was allowed to go home with um, the two carers that I've suggested, or even allowed to go in a low care facility, not a high care, Dan would come leaps and bounds the public advocate is required by law to find the least restrictive accommodation for Dan. But Teresa says that's not happening. I believe it's the most restrictive and they're putting it down to um, economics. The public trustee, when asked about this, stated that residential care is generally the most economical Dan says the public trustee has refused to give him any of his financial statements, but the two women have managed to obtain an invoice from the nursing home. It shows Dan's paying a lot of money to live in his high care facility, around $75,000 a year in accommodation and service expenses. Dan is shocked when he sees the statement. That's unbelievable. That it's, it's more than disgusting. I'm gobsmacked. How can they do that? I mean, do you think that you could live at home with a carer full-time for that sort of money? Absolutely. I, of course I could. What's more, the public trustee hasn't rented out his four-bedroom house, which could offset some of Dan's high expenses. And the electricity and water at his house are still connected, which means he's still paying for them. When we asked about this, the public trustee said it reviews client circumstances to determine whether to rent out a property. We don't know why it didn't do this in Dan's case. It also said it keeps utilities connected for various reasons like repairs and inspections. WA's public trustee is in the firing line since the state's Auditor-General released a scathing report last year. 
The public trustee is one of the least scrutinised state entities in the state. This is the author of the report, Auditor-General Carolyn Spencer. Where they have control of people's finances, that's a really significant intrusion of the, the state into an individual's life. And so they need to be accountable. WA's public trustee doesn't receive any government funding. Instead, its operating costs are covered by fees charged to its vulnerable clients and a percentage of the interest earned on those clients' investments. Fees are calculated as a percentage of assets, so the more assets a client has, the more they'll have to pay. The current self-funding fee model for the public trustee really provides uh, an inherent incentive to to seek to maximise the fees from those clients who have the capacity to pay in order to subsidise the more vulnerable members of the community who don't have the means to pay. There's a lot of money at stake. The WA Public Trustee manages $1.5 billion of assets owned by people under administration. Last year, it raised more than $23 million in fees alone. The Auditor-General found that some of those clients with assets are being overcharged. What we found is that the public trustee is um, sometimes raising fees that that appeared too high for the level of work effort that was being done for some of its trust clients. And those clients, some of those clients, are unknowingly subsidising other clients who don't have the capacity to pay. I asked the WA government what was being done in response to the Auditor-General's findings. A spokesperson said in an email that a review is underway and will be a matter for Cabinet to consider. It's after hours and I've managed to make it into Dan's nursing home so he can show me round. It actually looks pretty good. It's got a pool, a movie theatre, and it's classed as five-star. But Dan just doesn't want to be here. He has trouble sleeping because he says his mind is constantly ticking over. What are you thinking about? Freedom. (laughs) I, I just can't get my head around how this can happen to someone. Dan shows me his room, roughly 30 square metres filled with his belongings. Here is uh, my desk, that's belongs to me, and um, underneath I've got folders and that. With, I have a bathroom. I mean, it's like a hotel room, really, yeah. isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I've, I've got a good reputation with the staff and they, they all like me and I, I do what I can for the elderly people and stuff. And but, but the thing that I notice about you being in this section here is this isn't the dementia section of the nursing home, is it? Um, well, as far as I'm concerned, it is. They, they, well, the door's locked. They automatically lock it at five o'clock and they don't open until eight o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, I, I, I even uh, try and go and... There's limited space to try and do a bit of a walk to get a bit of exercise and stuff. But um, they just make it too hard to do. I asked Dan how he feels about his upcoming hearing. Well, I'm very excited that at least things are starting to happen. Um, But 
um, I'm tempering everything. I had questions about Dan's case and about the system, so I reached out to WA's Attorney-General, John Quigley, the State Administrative Tribunal, the Public Advocate and the Public Trustee. None of them were willing to do interviews and none would answer questions about Dan for confidentiality reasons. In statements, the public advocate says while its legislation is based on substitute decision-making, guardians must as far as possible consult with the person in its care and make decisions in their best interests. The public trustee, which manages Dan's finances, says it only provides financial statements to its clients upon request, but is reviewing this policy. It also said it's not responsible for finding affordable accommodation for those under its care, but it can review options put forward by family or their support people. The State Administrative Tribunal said it does allow people under guardianship and administration to inspect but not keep their own personal documents. And if their lawyers receive copies, the documents have to be destroyed within a period of time. You'll find full responses on the Background Briefing website. Today is Dan's big day. His case is before the tribunal for review. The public trustee allowed him to hire a lawyer just a week ago. But minutes before it's about to start, there's bad news. The hearing has been cancelled. I hurry over to the cafe where Dan and Teresa are waiting for me. Okay. Hello, Teresa. The hearing has been postponed because of the public trustee. The lawyers phoned me and said um, 10 minutes ago he was handed information from the public trustee. So it's been adjourned because he needs to go through all the paperwork. The lawyer also wants Dan to contact his adult children to see if one of them will become his guardian. I asked Dan if he's going to call them, but like so many families where there's estrangement, he doesn't really want to. I'm not comfortable to do that because there's been no connection and I don't want to be like trying to touch base with them because I'm in trouble. You know, it's, 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 you can't make people like you. If they say you have to remain where you are, how will you feel about that? I get dizzy just thinking about it. I, I, I just can't believe that that would happen. We leave the cafe and go to find a taxi for Dan. As we walk down the street, Teresa, privately, tells me Dan's lawyer isn't at all optimistic about his chances. He said it's not uncommon for somebody not to have a relative and hence it goes to the state like Dan's case has. And if Dan doesn't get anybody to stand up for him, it will stay with the state. And the state basically haven't got time to look at other options. 
She says the public advocate is completely overworked and simply doesn't have the time to find alternative accommodation for Dan. It's just not um, feasible to be able to do that and to do all the running around, etc. But then it goes against the legislation, doesn't it? Because it's not the least restrictive situation. Dan will have to wait weeks before the next hearing. His chances of escaping the control of the public advocate and public trustee don't look good if none of his family members become his guardian. It's crooked and it needs to be bloody fixed. Come on, say, look, I'm able to look after myself. There's a lot of people that aren't and wouldn't have a clue. Then they just get ripped off. Their kids don't get their inheritances. It's bloody disgusting. I've also had to tell Dan I don't think I'll make it back to Perth for his hearing. And I can see he's really disappointed. I'll say goodbye to you because we're going to go. I want to see you back. Yeah, I know. Please try. We'll be in contact, all right? We'll see how things go. Take care now. Since this episode was originally broadcast in March, the WA government has announced it will revise its fees and establish a board to oversee the state's public trustee. In September, the Disability Royal Commission recommended all gag laws around the country be repealed to allow those under guardianship and financial administration to be identified, so they're able to tell their stories publicly. As for Dan... After this story came out, he had another hearing but failed to convince the tribunal he should be able to return home with a carer. He's now in a different nursing home and still unhappy. Background Briefing sound producers are Lila Schunau and Ingrid Wagner. Sound engineering by Isabella Tropiano. Fact-checking by Ben Sveen. Our supervising producer is Mario Christodoulou. The executive producer is Fanu Falali. And I'm Anne Connolly. You can subscribe to Background Briefing on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 